Daddy Gang. It is your founding father, Alex Cooper, with Call Her Daddy. Lucy Hale, welcome to Call Her Daddy. Thank you. I am so happy that I'm finally meeting you. I this is happening. We're here. We're here. It's. I was just saying, your room is exactly how I thought it would make me feel. Oh cozy this is so great thank you for having cozy me. you also just told me that your mom is a fan of color daddy so i'm immediately like bow down mama hail hi, hi julie <laughs> yeah i was talking to her last night and she was just like how's your jet lag what are you doing tomorrow i was like i'm actually doing a podcast and she goes which one i said call her daddy she goes i love call her daddy i was like mom she she knows she knows all the cool things it she is, actually like keeps me young i love that for you and i love that for me because a mother liking the show is the highest compliment so yeah. hello Julie. you're doing so many you. things right This episode is presented by Sparkling Ice. Turn up summer with Sparkling Ice. They have over 17 anything but subtle flavors, all made with zero sugar and packed with vitamins and antioxidants. Iced tea and lemonade, strawberry watermelon, tropical punch, peach nectarine. Yum. Crank up the flavor. Sparkling Ice. Anything but subtle. This episode is brought to you by new Garnier Fructis hair filler with vitamin C, G. Many things can damage your hair like heat styling and bleaching, but the all new Garnier Fructis hair filler systems can reverse up to one year of damage to your hair smoothness in just one use, giving you up to 79% stronger hair and up to four times less breakage. And all Garnier products are approved by Cruelty-Free International under the Leaping Bunny program. New Garnier Fructis hair filler, pre-shampoo, shampoo, conditioner, and serum are available now on Amazon and at Walmart, Target, Ulta, drug, and select grocery stores. Learn more at GarnierUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Some things work so well. It's basically magic. Like my favorite highlighters that I'm like, wow, how did you all of a sudden make me look glowing? And you know what else really works, Dottie Gang? Shopify. It is a global commerce platform that helps you sell. I've seen a big difference in my online merch sales. They are especially good at turning browsers into buyers. I can see someone that's been on the site but didn't check out or someone that checked out and then is revisiting the site. Like if you want to grow your business, Daddy Gang, sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash unwell, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash unwell. I want to go back to the beginning because I feel like obviously we've seen you on television, but maybe there are people that are like, where are you from? I don't know you. So you, <laughs> who are you? Who are you, Lucy? Let's get <laughs> I'm into I'm still it. figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously you moved to LA super young, but you grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. I did. Can you talk to me about like, what were you like as a child? I lived in Tennessee till I was 15 mm-hmm. and kind of split a lot of my time with my mom who was in Memphis and my dad who lived in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, very simple upbringing, like two hardworking parents. My dad's a farmer. My mom is a nurse. Um, I was a very um, 
sensitive child. Mm-hmm. I still consider myself a, a sensitive gal, um, which I now view as like a, a good thing. Yeah. But growing up, you know, you're I was having, I just felt like very emotional and very kind of misunderstood, which is I think why I wanted to become an entertainer because I felt like, oh, wh- what an amazing outlet for me to mm-hmm. ultimately be anyone other than myself. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, as a kid, I was having all of these thoughts and I just needed um, a place to put all these feelings. And yeah. so I started taking singing lessons and acting lessons. And um, my mom and I moved to California when I was 15 and I never left. So I've been here 19 going on 20 years. Can you talk a little bit about that of like feeling misunderstood? Like, give me an example. I think, you know, whether I was misunderstood or not, who really knows? But in my little sensitive child brain, I was like, I felt like an alien. I felt like an alien amongst my friends. I felt like an alien in my family sometimes. And I don't, I can't really pinpoint like the moment in my life where that all started happening. But I I do remember having a feeling um, at a very young age of being like, I think in this life, like I have myself and we're going to have to get through it Mm. by myself. I don't know where that came from. I have no idea. But, um, you know, I, I, I felt like being artistic and being emotional I couldn't really find a good friend group growing up and I think that that's where that feeling of being misunderstood started um I I do consider myself really introverted actually which is like people are always surprised to say that because of my job which is like very extroverted but um, my job makes me feel really uncomfortable sometimes and um and I think that being an actor it's I'm hiding behind a veil of something like the last couple years of my life because of my job and like finding success pretty early mm-hmm. on and doing all of these things I, I didn't get a chance to figure out who I actually was mm-hmm. and if I did I didn't really like who I was so I was like running away from myself for so long yeah for so long and so the last couple of years I think and this is to tie it back around, I think I was feeling so misunderstood by a lot of people for so long because I didn't understand myself. How can other people understand you if you have no fucking idea who you are? It's so interesting you say that because when I started dating my now fiance, Mm -hmm. I like grew up in Pennsylvania. I looked at actors like gods and I thought that they had the best lives in the world (laughs) and my fiance being a producer, like I started to talk to him about the industry more and he was like, I have a lot of empathy for actors because Mm -hmm. what people don't see on the other side of it is like we fall in love with you and your character of like Mm -hmm. who you play on a certain TV show or whatever it is or in a movie. But what you guys are dealing with is like you're handed a script that you're told to like get into character of this person and you can really lean in. But like there's a lack of like autonomy of like actually having control in a lot of these ways. So people are falling in love with something that like you it's tried like, to bring to life, but it's yeah. also not you. So it's right. like kind of a weird thing of like. It is weird. <laughs> it is weird. And then also being a part of something that lasted for so long and being a part of that while I was figuring out who I was, I was like, I don't even, am I this character or am I me? Like 
and and then seeing people fall in love with this experience and fall in love with that character i'm like well maybe i should be more like this character because i don't i don't really know who i am and i can only obviously speak from my my experience but i do find that a lot of actors feel similar in the sense of like i think we fall into this line of work because we're we're kind of filling some sort of void it's like on some level we're we're all like a little broken or like a little or a lot insecure in my case I was like I think this is gonna make me feel like I'm whole if all these people like me and I book these jobs and I look a certain way and um does it temporarily feel great hell yeah I'm not gonna lie like it does feel great I love my job I love certain aspects of it but that doesn't fix what's broken in you and it makes it worse I was going to say, it's almost like you yeah. can like hide even more behind it and also go down a trail of like, oh my God. I can imagine you're so young and you're like, is this my personality? Like, am I like this? Like, yeah. do I like this type of man? Like, it's I was like, even dressing like the character off camera. And camera. of course, I'm like, you know, I, I started that when I was 20 years right, old. Right. So. But it, still, like, yeah. I would be fucked up being like, first, I also want to know, because obviously Memphis is so wildly different than Los Angeles. Yeah. And so before you move, at what age did your parents get divorced? I think I was four. And I have very vivid memories of like the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow knowing at that age that it was a good thing. Why did you feel um, that way? Did you see them fight a lot? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't very calm. I think there was a lot of chaos in the house. And as we get older, we start to realize, like, even when you were saying, like, Mm. I was introverted, like, I felt misunderstood. As I've gone through therapy, I'm like, so much of why we are the way Mm. we are. It's before even peer dynamics. It's like, what was happening in your house? Well, don't they say that you are who you are between the ages of two and five? Yeah. Well, holy crap. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, like, that was when things really blew up and I think at a very young age that is when like Mm. my desire to please everyone started like I just wanted everyone to be happy I wanted mom to be happy I wanted my dad to be protected um I've I've always been like fiercely protective of my dad and and I think um as a kid you everything is personal you think everything's your fault so you're like okay if I just act a certain way then maybe mommy and daddy will be Mm -hmm. happy and life will be perfect and I find that a lot of women feel similar to me in the people-pleasing. I think it's holy moly. We could do a whole episode on that. I mean, and undoing it. I'm in like the process of undoing being a Mm people-pleaser because it's so hard for my brain to accept that I can be nice and set boundaries because all of my 20s, I was like, you know what? If I'm the nicest one, people will like me more. And it's like, well, that's just not. That's getting complete over. abandonment of mm-hmm. self. So you're just like, I'll just take it and I'll just yeah. be quiet on that or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you start to be like, okay, wait, why am I getting taken advantage of like all mm-hmm. the time? Yeah. And it's difficult to like start to do something and go against something that like you have done your whole life the opposite way. Yeah. I think at a young age, I, I just realized I just wanted people to like me. I always mm-hmm. felt like life would be fine if, you know, everyone was happy and people just accepted me and I'm like god that's sad that at a young age I I felt those things Mm -hmm. 
But even you saying like when you're in your house being like, if I'm the peacemaker, like maybe things will calm down. Like, I think that's like it can weave into then like your peer dynamics of like, you're just like, keep the peace. Everybody like me. Like, mm-hmm. I just want to like be here, be quiet. Yeah. Like, don't exactly. It's the quiet thing. But I do think it's really relatable, especially I think it's women of like, wanting to be noticed and seen Mm -hmm. and heard and then also feeling deeply insecure when you are being seen and heard because yeah we're we're basically taught to doubt ourselves like it's different with men like as girls it's like be polite sit down be lady like Mm -hmm. uh, it's like uh, what am I doing it right and I think it can create a lot of like division in your brain of like what you want versus like what your natural instinct is which is like and then what society has taught us like of how to be so I am with yes. you on that girl. I vividly, vividly remember a moment in my life. Uh-huh. I was upstairs. I was with my karaoke machine. I think I was like singing something from Pink. Love it. And I remember thinking, my life will be different. Mm-hmm. My life is going to be different. I don't belong here. Don't you think that's like a normal human instinct though that like when you're in such a situation like I felt that way with my Catholic school upbringing of like so Catholic every Sunday we had to go to church we had to do this when you're Mm -hmm. in like a system that is like forcing you to like be a specific way Mm -hmm. your brain can't help but be like what if I just went that way yeah but you can't help but be like like is it I'm just completely agree I'm just laughing because I love Kelly Clarkson and there's that song Breakaway. Oh. I was like, that was the moment. Yeah, I'm like, we're getting out of here, baby. Like, and we did is what's crazy. Right. And so this moment, I remember it was like, I was sitting on this like crazy shaggy carpet we had right. upstairs and I was like, no, we're going to do some things. And of course I didn't know what that meant. I just intuitively knew that I wanted something special different. and different for myself. Dude, I'm dying thinking of you up in your bedroom, like, and break away. <laughs> what a also, I thought be. I was going to be Kelly Clarkson 2.0. Oh, didn't we all? We back to Lucy. Anyway, back to you. Uh. <laughs> okay, so you say you moved to LA when you are 15. 15. Okay, mm-hmm. and what I read, your mom had to take out her retirement money to get you guys there. Did you feel like excited guilty pressure i'm not gonna lie i felt zero guilt (laughs) but only because i knew it was gonna work out Mm -hmm. um i think as time went on i i did feel a little guilt of what my mom actually sacrificed Mm -hmm. and i often am like that was truly unhinged that we drove across the country and you you know, she was a, a nurse and she would work nights. She would drive me to my auditions during the day and sleep in the car. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's amazing. My mom moved back to Tennessee when I was 17 because by then I was doing little jobs here and there, mm-hmm. enough to, you know, go spend my money at Forever 21 and have mm-hmm. a shitty apartment. But but things started moving, like, relatively mm-hmm. quickly when we got here, okay. enough for my mom to be like, okay. yeah. But it's also really interesting because when I look back at that experience, it um, instead of like if I'm completely transparent, instead of thinking of all the amazing things, which I can now like hold so much gratitude and space for that, I look back on that and I think of all the things that were happening behind the scenes and how I was feeling and the things I was dealing with and the things I was running away from and mm-hmm. the pressure of being on this show that was so adored by people and... And so I think it's it's okay for like to hold space for how amazing it was, but also to 
to know that like that uh, was very painful and challenging for me to navigate yeah. because I think what was going on behind the scenes were things I would have no doubt dealt with whether I lived in Tennessee, Timbuktu, or LA. Mm-hmm. I, I know that because like we talked about these things happen when you're a tiny baby child, <laughs> you totally, know? Totally. And so I don't know in, on what end of the spectrum it would have been on, but but I do know that um, the success and the notoriety and everything happening really amped up, ramped up the the intense feelings yeah. that I was like desperately trying yeah. to shove in that emotional baggage trunk. When I hear you saying that too, I feel like, which I, I think this is like the beauty of people. And I think it's gotten so much better in the past few years of like, finally people starting to actually speak about things that they experience. Like I think about Rob Pattinson and Kristen Stewart for so long, not wanting to talk about Twilight and people like, because when you have these like beloved projects that we as viewers are just like, I love you. We love mm-hmm. it. This is perfect. We are obsessed with you girls. We love you all. Are you guys all best friends? Do you guys all love each other? Is everything yeah. perfect? There's this like idealization of it that I yeah. think as you guys, as the characters in it, probably feel this responsibility to like smile through and be like, we love it. Cause you're, you're the image. Like yeah. you, you are almost responsible for keeping all these like young girls dreams alive of how much they loved the show and you don't want to be yeah. like I was struggling while I was doing this yeah but you're also a human being and that was your yeah. reality and you're yeah. talking obviously about how there are things going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. talking yes so I will say that I didn't graduate high school and so that's a little context of you know I was emancipated at 17 it's taken me many years many breakdowns many experiences to realize what I was actually feeling in those moments I think any young female no matter where you are what you do you feel pressure you want to look a certain way you want to be a certain weight you like you just want people to accept you Mm -hmm. and to like you you want not maybe not everyone maybe there are some healthier minds mindset liars (laughs) uh but you know you you want attention from guys you just want you just want to be liked simply put you want to be liked and so I before I had even booked I struggled heavily with the eating disorder uh and like looking back now it's you know I look at a picture and I don't think oh wow like I'm like oh I can tell exactly based off of my weight or what was going on what I was going through at the time Mm -hmm. I was not healthy I was not healthy and in it you know and it makes me sad almost because obviously no one else knew that I wasn't healthy but to to know that young women were watching the show and and I of course I didn't know who I was yet but I was, I just want people to know that that what that's not yeah I was not in a good place and and so I you know I was dealing with the eating stuff and the food stuff which ultimately um is is just feeling completely out of control mm-hmm. uh once again would have dealt with this no matter what I did for a living but it's kind of you know, I chose an industry that yeah. like um, really heightened all of that yeah. for me. Uh, yeah, like I have very vivid memories of 
watching some of the show and being like disgusted as and being like well we gotta stop eating we gotta and it, and it was just because I was overwhelmed like yeah. I I don't I, I'm not sure how I would have done it any differently like I was doing the best I could and and it did I think like having that kind of control over my body or my weight it did make me feel good because I was like mm-hmm. my life is changing and I don't know where I fit in in the show with these girls. Like I, at least I have this one thing that I can control. That's interesting. You're like, that's the one thing that you knew you were in full control of. Even if it was unhealthy and hurting you, you were like, I. It gave me this false sense of security and I held on to that for a really long time. Can you talk to me about that? Because I think that the dynamic of having these beautiful women on set, you Mm -hmm. yourself included, we all compare ourselves like Mm -hmm. I look back to myself in high school and like the jealousy of like the girl that I was like oh my god she's so beautiful I want to look like her and like it's just how we are conditioned as women of like yeah who's the prettiest in the group who's the skinniest who's the this like how did you handle that with all all of you being so gorgeous and you're all staring at each other I think at the time I would have told myself like we're not competitive (laughs) and of course I'm only speaking from me of course there was of course I felt the pressure not to be prettier or to look better but to like keep up because Mm -hmm. I did look at Shay and Troy and Sasha and Janelle and Ashley and I was like what the fuck these are angels amongst me and like do I fit into that Mm -hmm. there was often it it was often it was more and people always wanted to pit us against each other Mm -hmm. and were we all best friends no yeah some of us connected some of us did not did we have rough patches of course we were in our fucking 20s of course like obviously but like there was always a lot of love Mm -hmm. I I Mm -hmm. feel like but but yeah there was a lot of nights where I'm like okay I don't know I don't know how to keep up with this. I don't know if I want to keep up with this. Mm-hmm. This is and it like would eat away at me. Yeah. And I don't know how I've actually never talked to them, the mm-hmm. other girls, about this. I don't know if they felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Um I also think that it's different now where women are more supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of ingrained in us as women, it's like in our DNA that like there can only be one. Yep. It's fucking bullshit. It's so fucking crazy. And it's not like we've all been conditioned that way. And it's like we can all thrive. We can, we can all... all thrive and look amazing and be amazing and be mm-hmm. kind and root for each mm-hmm. other. There's enough room. Yeah. I, I just like that sort of mindset of like there's not enough for everyone is yeah. like the scarcity mindset is very. And, and, and I think there was an element of that on the show because realistically like there were magazine covers they were only choosing one and it's that's just human nature it wasn't that I didn't want to root for them I did I love them I still love them to this day like I'm so proud that we maintained a level of like it felt like family you know you don't always vibe with certain family members but like your family right yeah yeah but God, and I see all these like new shows with young women and I'm I I just I'm like, oh, I know. I know what it right. probably feels like. Right. You were there. Yeah. When you But also, it's also that's high school too, oh, that, you know? Well, no, that's what I, I That was my high school. It's so crazy. I it gets I get frustrated when I'm not saying people have to be fighting, but like 
you can tell it's like there's no fucking way on every cast that everyone gets along like sure we can glamorize like but we love our show it's our favorite show it's like (laughs) babe if you put five six seven girls in a fucking room like not everyone's gonna get along yeah and I think some of the gals really did connect and bond in Mm -hmm. a big way and I and I I've always found it tricky to connect with people because I I like to connect I like this is why we're vibing because we're talking about like the things I love to talk about Mm -hmm. and I I just always not only on that show I've found it trickier to find the people that I want to connect with and so I would kind of just sit in my little corner and like live in my own world and tell myself you know that I was misunderstood but in reality it's just certain people connect and certain people don't connect but I did feel kind of a pressure because I remember sometimes reading online that the fans of the show would notice that I wasn't in pictures with certain people and I think that's where these rumors started of like (laughs) they don't like Lucy or and it really wasn't that it was just like I was marching to the beat of my own drum and I didn't and I knew I knew the perception of it and I maybe knew how it was coming across but I also knew that I wasn't gonna force yeah yeah, it's something to happen. Well, it it's, to happen. it's very similar to what you described as your childhood. Like, exactly. You're sitting there feeling mm-hmm. misunderstood. You're very in your own mm-hmm. head. You're alone. You're emotional, mm-hmm. but you're like kind of a loner. You're like, I had maybe like not as many friends and I was kind of like introverted. That yeah. doesn't just fucking change because you get on a cool set with a bunch of cool chicks no. and you're like, oh my God, we're all famous now. Like, you're still the same Lucy in Tennessee. Yeah. So it's like that. I I appreciate you saying that because I do think a lot of times people are like, why can't I be a certain way? And especially when you're in a room with women maybe that are more outgoing or more clicky yeah. and connecting. That's yeah. just fucking life. I think that was it. Yeah. I think I've had to accept that. I just so desperately when I was younger, I wanted to be, have a, wasn't even that I wanted to look differently mm-hmm. I wanted to have a different personality mm-hmm. I was like damn it why am I not more fun I always mm-hmm. felt like boring and I felt like I didn't have a lot to say mm-hmm. I definitely because I didn't graduate high school was like oh well I'm not smart people aren't gonna listen to me mm-hmm. I had built like all of these narratives in my head where I was like this is the truth I'm gonna stand by it <sighs> which is why which I'm sure we'll talk about which is why your girl wanted to drink, right? Because I could be fun. I could be sexy. I could be hysterical. I could be a bitch. I could be mm-hmm. whatever I wanted to be. And my brain shut off. But like undoing all of these narratives that I believed and stood by for so mm-hmm. long has been the biggest challenge of my life. Harder than giving up drinking. Yeah. Harder than my career. It's like actually rewiring my brain into believing like, no, I am smart. I do have shit that's important that I want to say yeah um I'm worthy I am more than the way I look like all of these things that we tell ourselves and I love it now I love like I have I have an addictive personality but now I'm like driven by this need to okay I want to know more about myself I want to do more I want to be better I want to understand all I can learn Yeah. yeah no I I get what you're saying about like which is so hard and again I think a lot of women can relate to that of like having something in your head that you believe about yourself and if you asked your friend or your family member they'd be like what are you talking about yeah wait 
no like we yeah. n- you're so smart or you're so talented or you're so this what are you talking it's like we are our own yeah. worst enemy and if it goes down too far into a like a dark hole like it is just you own it and you believe it and it's mm-hmm. like how do you even begin to like unravel that because you have to yeah. live your day-to-day life you're still yeah. going on with your job and your interactions it's and like- that's what you're broadcasting to the world energetically <sighs> I would make myself feel very small mm-hmm. and that my ideas didn't matter because if I walked into a room everyone else's ideas were more important than mine mm-hmm. and it had to I think it had to do with this this idea of not feeling smart or feeling like mm-hmm. people didn't care <gasps> okay okay let's talk about you have talked about your journey with sobriety before mm-hmm. and I kind of want to just I've never talked about alcoholism on caller daddy i've never talked about struggling with alcohol i've never talked about first you're the first i'm the sober you're the cherry popper you are popping it right now cherry This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Some things work so well. It's basically magic. Like my favorite highlighters that I'm like, wow, how did you all of a sudden make me look glowing? And you know what else really works, Dottie Gang? Shopify. It is a global commerce platform that helps you sell. I've seen a big difference in my online merch sales. They are especially good at turning browsers into buyers. I can see someone that's been on the site but didn't check out or someone that checked out and then is revisiting the site. Like if you want to grow your business, Daddy Gang, sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash unwell, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash unwell. Let's go back to the beginning of what age did you like first try alcohol? In the womb. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> My mother kidding. gave me a little taste of tequila. I, uh, okay, the first time ever that I tried alcohol? Yeah, or, or like, like maybe when first... you started drinking. I mean, I will say the first time I ever had alcohol, mm-hmm. I think it's important to talk about because I was probably 12, okay. 13. And I was in Florida on a vacation. I was like wearing a crop top halter top thing for some reason i remember the shirt i was wearing and we drank green apple pucker which is a oh. uh, chaser anyway i remember my very first experience with alcohol was exactly how it was when it ended i blacked out at 12 blacked out at 12 years old Damn. i couldn't i don't remember what happened i got very sick i threw up and i remember being so distraught when i realized what had happened and i was like oh my god my mom is going to be so disappointed in me like um at this is I feel so scared right and that's at 12 so I didn't start regular of course I drink here and there from 12 to 18 but right. um I remember shame every experience after drinking because my drinking was never normal right I never drank normally and I mean literally every time I drank I, I wasn't always sloppy blacking out. Yeah. A lot of the time I was, but I was drinking. It was very clear I was drinking to escape something, mm-hmm. even at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I would say around like age 18 when my mom moved back to Tennessee is when it was happening a lot. Yep. But but I, also you're like a teenager. I didn't realize I had a problem yep. until my early 20s when okay. I'm like, why do I still want to 
drink after a night out like why why can't I just have two glasses of wine Mm -hmm. why am I thinking about drinking all the time why do I feel so uncomfortable if I'm not drinking when I'm out it's like all these questions and I uh I don't know if I ever talked about this before. This might be a, a first. I went to rehab when I was 23. Okay. I don't even think anyone on the show knew. And it was my choice too. It, it That was like a, a very pivotal moment in my life. I like wasn't ready to give up drinking, which is why I didn't get sober until I was 32. But okay. um, there was like deep fear of, of what would happen if I continued acting this way from for a very long time. And when I tell you I've tried so I had tried so many different things, rehab, outpatient, inpatient, trauma center, therapy, medication, you name it. And I, and there was always like a, a very strong desire to want to stop, mm-hmm. but I think just being, I don't know how I would have gotten sober in my 20s in LA on a, being successful, like I, I, which is why I have so much empathy for people in the media that are struggling because I was like it's so fucking hard yeah um and I you know I I just was in this very sad cycle for all of my 20s um can I okay yeah first of all thank you for sharing that because again it almost goes back to like there's like the career that you want to uphold and you Mm -hmm. want to like be remembered for something great yeah and that doesn't mean you can't also be open about the struggles you were going through but I do think it's difficult for people to be like am I allowed to like should I say this about myself like will people want to work with me like should Mm -hmm. I even like I can imagine that goes through your head because I know people don't open up probably for that fucking reason there was no way in hell I was gonna openly talk about this Mm -hmm. I was so deeply ashamed Mm -hmm. of myself and my choices and the person I was when I drank yeah there was no it it is actually mind-blowing like if you would have told me at that age you know 10 years from now you're going to be doing a podcast and you're going to be talking about being sober and alcoholism I would have said you are fucking insane Mm -hmm. no because these things I'm talking about I'm only able to speak about them because I have actively worked through and let go of the shame yep that was so ingrained in who I was Mm -hmm. I I don't feel like I and I don't really blame anyone for not helping you know the people in my inner circle definitely knew my friends my family my sweet manager but no one on the show really knew because I didn't talk about it and so I think there was a lot of maybe concern Mm -hmm. from people and people also are like how did you maintain a job well my drinking was very it was binge drinking, so I wasn't drinking every day, but when I would drink, you would drink. <laughs> it was like, bye. That's what I was going to say. Can yeah. you take me to, like, what would a typical night or day of drinking be like for you back then? So it usually would start, and I was, because I because my job was very important to me, like, I, I think maybe only, I never let it come interfere with that because, okay. like, I knew if I lost that, I would, not be okay yeah 
um, it doesn't mean it didn't seep through the cracks sometimes mm-hmm. because like, yeah, I did show up to work hungover sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I can look at pictures of my eyes and I'm like, oh, you hung over, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I know what you were up to last I, night. Exactly. And so I think it was maybe clear to, to people. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. People aren't dumb. That's the thing about like addicts, alcoholics. You think you're being so secretive. So it, it, I, And I can, I feel it in a room. I can, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. And, and like in a non-judgy way, I'm just like, oh, I think they're struggling. You know? And Isn't that so interesting? And yeah. then you probably walked in being like, no one knows. No one knows. And maybe they were like, yeah, Lucy, you reek. Yeah, or like, exactly. Lucy, you like. Your eyes are bloodshot. Right. Or did you sleep? But okay, uh, a night of. Yes. You know, it kind of looked, that that was a scary thing is it was a wild card. And I was always like, well, this could be a really fun, because some nights don't, I, I also like, in hindsight, I look back, I had some great memories mm-hmm. drinking, mm-hmm. super fun, but you never knew what you were going to get. So some nights would be, you know, great. I'd be home at a decent hour. I'd, you know, chug some water before bed and take some Advil and I'd wake up and feel fine. Or it would be a night that turned into a Saturday that turned into a Sunday where I'm like, why are there drugs on the table? Like, who are these people? Why are these people in my house? Like, it would just be all over the place. Yeah. And and I think I was also attracting people in my life that were also really struggling. And I think one thing, and also I just think that anyone who's listening to this I get really emotional. Mm. Lucy, don't cry. I cry mm. all the time. You can I cry. cry. I just think something that really, something that really I, I struggled with a lot growing up is like I remember people, people, some people I worked with, some people in my friend group that just thought I was a wild child and thought I'd just like to party and like, Ooh, it's going to be or like people wouldn't invite me places because they knew how it would get and I just want to say that anyone who behaves that way it's clearly coming from a place of pain and so anyone who may or may not be struggling with this like I think it's so important and what's really helped me is like you have to find the people who get it find people who understand and that you can connect with because you're not fucking alone in that feeling and like I think I felt that for so much of my life I was like it was the misunderstood thing right and then it was like actually being reflected back to me because I was being misunderstood because I was like I don't just like to chug tequila or I did but like but I but I'm also like in pain I'm in pain and I also remember vividly I will not name names but I remember vividly hearing someone who was in kind of my inner circle at the mm-hmm. time saying, God, sober people are so boring. And I was like, you know what? Sober people, I, at the time I was like, sober people are boring. Am I boring? And I also want to say to anyone who might be struggling, I remember Miley Cyrus said one time, she's like, "There, you can say a lot of things about me. She, it was like, yeah. because I think she's she, mm-hmm. she was talking about sobriety. She was like, but I am not boring. I find some of the most interesting, complex, beautiful human beings that I know struggle in this way. And that is your gift. Don't let anyone ever tell you, like your mistakes don't define you, like your sensitivity, because I find that a lot of 
sensitive people turn to alcohol, turn to drugs because you're trying to numb down your gifts. Mm -hmm. Oh, can you tell I could talk about this all the time? No, it's really powerful because I, number one, I feel really, I have seen it too. Like I've had people in my life that I'm like, oh my God, like I know you're struggling, but it is hard to be with someone that is blacking out that is a liability it's like it's lie. difficult like, it's hard but yeah. it's it's obvious they're struggling and I yeah. think that's the thing that you're right people don't have any fucking grace or time for it in moments and I think yeah. you were clearly struggling I guess you kind of having this like binge moment and then being able to get to work like I relate a lot and you don't even have to be someone that like struggles so much with alcohol to the point where like I've been in moments in my life where like staying out late and partying (laughs) nothing ever good comes from it and I remember like no I remember the the moments in when I was living in New York I'd gone through a really bad breakup and I was really struggling with like party culture just felt like I wanted to be a part of it because I felt like I could I don't know I felt like i I felt really alone at that point in my life. I didn't, my friends weren't in the city. I I was like, I have no one. And so I found this group of people that were always partying. Drugs. And you bond over that. There is like a, there's, there should be a whole conversation about Mm -hmm. the people you bond with. When you're partying. Yeah. And so I remember like, I had never, I had never done drugs. I, cause I'd played soccer my whole life. Like I'd never done that. And I remember getting into a phase in New York where like, I tried drugs and like yeah. I would be at an after party and there were drugs on the table and I, and it was also because I'm drinking. If I was sober, I'm not doing the drugs. I'm the same way. Right? Yeah. But all of a sudden you find yourself and I wonder if, mm-hmm. if you're comfortable talking about that yeah. of like how you can also slip into like when you're drunk. Anything goes, baby. And anything. anything. <laughs> you're like, is that cocaine is that a cigarette is that a what are we doing what, what is yeah and what is who who is that yeah who is you that? know and you've no idea where it even came from girl and you're not going to be smart you're just going to take it girl I it's so interesting because I yes just what you said like I would have never I would have never thought to do cocaine if I weren't drinking but mm-hmm. but I think alcohol was just this gateway into being whoever I wanted to be I didn't have to be sweet I could be sloppy and yeah I could do cocaine if I wanted to you know what I could sleep with that guy if I wanted to and maybe his friend you know it's right. like right. not that I'm you know no. I, I look back and I have compassion because I was like oh babe. babe but but it was just I didn't have an outlet in my regular normal life mm-hmm. to like release this wild side and yeah. release this bad side because ultimately, like, I still have those elements to me. Right. That doesn't go away. Your shadow side is fucking cool, mm-hmm. I-, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to learn how to be friends with these things that brought me shame. Yeah. And that people, and the other thing was, like, I knew people were talking shit about me. I knew people were were not even spreading rumors. It was the truth. Yeah. And I just tried to cover it up for so long. Yeah. And and that even fueled more drinking so it was like how do i get out of this cycle it's gonna kill me literally yeah oh well did you ever have like a moment where it was like you're in the hospital and mm -hmm. you wake up yeah i you know i was never i never wanted to die but like the way i was acting Mm -hmm. sometimes i'm like wow it's a i would wake up and be like well it's kind of a miracle i'm here here 
Um, I did have moments where I'd, I would have to go to the hospital and like get IVs. I, yeah, you know, it got it got really dark. Yep. It got. I'm not even gonna lie. It, yeah. it got really dark. I was very sad. I was very scared. I think ultimately I was like, okay, well we have some options. When I when I got, to, I'm I'll be sober. I'm almost two years sober. Um, thank you. And and it feels great. Like I feel so stoked to be able to talk about these things yeah. and to know that I'm good. Like, yeah. and I think there were so many times in my career where I'd wanted to talk about it, but mm-hmm. I knew I didn't have a grip on it. And and the thing is, like, I this is something I do, I work on every day. Yeah. I choose myself every moment of every day because I have to, because I want to be here mm-hmm. and I want to live a full life yeah um but when I decided to get sober at 32 I was like okay we have some options Mm -hmm. I can keep doing what I've been doing for the last 15 years Mm -hmm. um there's the risk of something really bad happening or we can get sober and we can actually do it because I would always kind of half-ass do it yeah and I truly, there's no other way to say it other than it was like a spiritual intervention. Like I literally felt the presence of God like actually telling me, we're not, you don't have another chance. Like I truly felt it in my bones that like this is it. Yeah. What are we going to do with it? And I remember I was flying back from Austin after a whirlwind New Year's Eve trip like shaking I was eating a gross ham sandwich like trying just to get food in my stomach because I hadn't eaten in like two days I had my dog in my lap I was like okay we're gonna do it we're gonna do this and then I ended up the week I got sober I actually got COVID too and I think without that I would have made excuses I think because I was forced to stay home Mm -hmm. I was forced to call these certain people connect with certain people put myself in these rooms and groups of people that truly saved my life I think without having COVID I'm I might not have gotten sober or committed to it and I I don't know man like I feel so strong in my path right now and I I don't know every day is changes like I I was just traveling internationally and like air airports and airplanes are are always make me a little edgy I'm like Mm -hmm. Because that's where I loved to drink, put me in a lounge, put me on right, a plane. Right. I was like, I'm 30,000 feet away from everyone that drives yeah. me crazy, yep. you know? So so it's it's really just like, okay, being gentle with myself and really having a plan mm-hmm. of, okay, I know I'm going to be on a couple planes coming up. How are we going to take care of myself? Yep. Being sober is 100% the best thing I've ever done for myself. It does not mean that it's easy. I think... I have talked about it publicly and I think it's been portrayed as like life is great life is amazing has it made my life better 100 million percent but it's deeply uncomfortable and it is deeply painful but it is so worth it yeah dude yeah that's what I think is you're so right it's like when you come out and say like I'm sober everyone's like oh my god she has it together yeah like she's great and you're like this is something that you have to wake up every day and make the choice to not have a drink. To, to not have a drink. And it's and it's made me realize like how much I was escaping in other mm-hmm. ways too. Like 
your girl will do anything to avoid an uncomfortable feeling. Uh-huh. I'm like, let's go. I'm on Amazon. Like, I do need this new blender. <laughs> I already have 10 blenders. You know what I'm saying? Uh, spend money. Men. Like, I have avoided my shit for a long time by being with people I didn't really want to be with. Just, yeah. like, complete avoidance. Can we talk about that for a minute? Because yeah. something that really hit me and I – Oh, this is like so dark but I remember I love, this is I've never loved you more okay <laughs> so I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast but I was in this relationship where I was in it for the wrong reasons it was so off like just mm. in ways like emotionally abusive and just like really not healthy mm-hmm. and I was staying for the wrong reasons but I remember there would be nights that I knew he would want to have sex and I did not want to have sex with him yeah so before he would come home I would go into the kitchen and take shots by myself and I would drink so that I could have sex with him yeah and what's so crazy in that moment is like I knew like what the fuck am I doing like why am I hiding quickly drinking then going and brushing my teeth so he doesn't know so that yeah. i'm fucked up so that i can have sex with this person oh, like yeah so fucking sad but i'm and i'm thinking about you and i'm like can you talk to me a little bit about like the sexual aspect of being drunk or being on drugs while you're drunk and like being in this situation which is like pretty unsafe like yeah what sexual situations did you get yourself into that like you'd oh wake god. up and be like huh? oh my god i and this is definitely you know I've, I've talked about my sobriety story a little but i've never talked about um that element of it yeah. and i think it's a really important thing to talk yeah. about because i think a lot of people can relate to that whether you're an alcoholic or not totally um and also like <laughs> being sober and dating and being sexual was like a whole new thing I had to learn because Mm -hmm. a lot of my most of my relationships and my the people I had slept with like I was always fucked up I and I felt so deeply uncomfortable in my body and in my skin and whether you struggle or not when you drink you automatically feel a little bit sexier you're like i totally. look amazing uh-huh. you're like i'm <laughs> at ready least, at least i would have like a, a, a 10 minute window where i was like we've got it together mm-hmm. and then the dark thoughts would roll in but i mean there's definitely been i think that's where some of my shame still mm-hmm. lies is in the people i've allowed to the people I've allowed myself to be with and I know for certain I've potentially I don't even know if I want to say that I I actually know I maybe have been taken advantage of Mm -hmm. not to say that these people no I'm not making excuses for people I was gonna say I've been taken advantage of uh yes I was the person drinking but I there are certain things I don't quite remember um but then it's also, yeah, so I've slept with people I regret sleeping with. Of course, yeah. You know? Yeah. But I also think, like, in the relationships I was in, um, I really relate to what you're saying about, like, needing to drink to be 
physical. physical. And for mm-hmm. me, it wasn't like I wasn't attracted to these men. I, I, I was, but I was so uncomfortable with myself or their perception of me that it was easier to be in a different state of mind when being physical. Totally. I have always, I've always considered myself a sexual person mm-hmm. and I always had shame about that mm-hmm. until recently. I think that I think it's so strange to me that we're given the gift of sex. Like it's yeah. a beautiful what? Like totally. what do you mean? It's amazing. like <laughs> yeah. the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. And we obviously live in a society that shames us for that. Yeah. When ultimately that's kind of the thing that connects us yeah. all, right? But I think something that is difficult when you and I know you're like still working on like unpacking everything that happened but and that's when I'm like oh like we need we do as women especially need to get better of like you sitting here and just not being able to fully say and then like yeah you were taken advantage of yeah it, it's so interesting how my brain w- will try to make excuses for for things and is it right or wrong i don't I, I don't know but it happened and i think basically what I'm, what I'm trying to say is like i don't think these people are bad people it's just so i i'm i'm only pausing because i've actually never talked about this element yeah. of it before yeah and not even really with my therapist this is just like a new top this is like a new yeah Remember I was talking about the trunk uh-huh. and like the emotional, I think, wow, we'll be doing a lot of journaling tonight, Alex. <gasps> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I think. I appreciate you I talking think about it. As women and as men, mm-hmm. like there is so much shame attached to the type of people we've been with. Were we fucked up? Like what actually did happen? Mm-hmm. Was it my fault? Should I have actually, you know? God, we just live in a world where we're just like all traumatized people, traumatizing people. Dude, it's, well, what I appreciate about you is like, there's a level of like survival you have to get to where you're like, you have to move on. You have to look back at a point of your life and be like, whoa, I'm so happy I'm like not doing those certain things to myself anymore. But then there's also a moment where you have to be like, our body remembers things. Have you read that book, The Body Keeps yes. the Score? I haven't read it, but it's fucking crazy i'm sure there are moments i have had them in my 20s where i woke up and this is so sad i remember waking up and being like did i have sex last night Mm -hmm. and actually physically like trying to like Mm -hmm. feel in my vagina like Mm -hmm. did i have sex i know i i have i can't even tell you i can't even tell you how many times i've been like huh and then I'd make excuses. I'd be like, well, I kind of always wanted to sleep with him, so I guess it's okay. Mm-hmm. Or, mm, or you know, just like making excuses or – but also like I f- – for so much of my life, I found – I would f- fill this like empty well within myself yeah. with validation from men. Mm-hmm. So I I was like, well, if, I, if I'm – if I sleep with them, like I get this validation and – and then I'm okay, and then I feel worthy for a week, and right. then I'm then I need to do it again, and I don't know. It was just a habit I picked up very, yeah. very early on of like if I got the attention from men, I I was okay to show up in the world. Yeah, 
even mm-hmm. I think something that's really relatable and I bet a lot of people are going to connect with also is like you talked about how when you would drink you would have this you would become the person you thought you wanted to be you're outgoing you're loud I can be sassy I can fuck like I can be hot <laughs> like you can do all these things and I I know people in my life that are like I'm introverted and I'm a little anxious or I'm shy and having a couple drinks like I think brings me out of my shell and I'm able Mm -hmm. but it's like then there's that line where it's like you shouldn't need anything to like Mm -hmm. that is a substance like that to make you feel like you can be yourself because we're not ourselves when we're drinking right but then sexually also all of us are gonna feel way more free having sex if we're fucked up on something yeah but it's like you don't actually know and you don't feel in tune with your fucking body. I'm even willing to say that sex drunk is not enjoyable. At all. Sex with strangers is not enjoyable. Point blank. Blank. Yeah. It's just the truth. Maybe, and that's just my experience, but, Mm. and that's why like the last two years of, I mean, I was like celibate for a lot of it, but, but, but I think like, feeling so comfortable in my skin mm-hmm. and like learning to love my body in new ways mm-hmm. like being sexual like it's still a little uncomfortable yeah for me I'm learning how to be really present and um you know and, and choosing the people I want to be intimate mm-hmm. with and not everyone deserves to touch your body you know facts facts <laughs> And, like, you can't make that decision as easily when you are fucked up. No, I'm like, everyone can touch it. Right. They're like, let's go. Girl, guy, all, let's Let's go. I just appreciate you going there with me and us unpacking the themes of just being like, oh, that's interesting. Next. Like, well, I mean, that's a testament to you. You're so good at what you do and you really create uh, with all of your guests. Thank you you know the right questions to ask but you do it all with like a very well because it's like it's your very life warm. like when people are like so talk to me about your fucking yeah. drinking problem yeah. you're like okay so here you're like a slut people, right literally <laughs> like who'd you fuck whore you're like oh my god people have said shit to me about yeah. like craziest shit i'm like that's rude thank you yeah um okay uh, no this is great okay relationships your relationships yeah i had many relationships mm-hmm. i I don't think I, I've had not had a relationship really since I've been sober. Mm-hmm. I dated, but I but throughout all the, you know, teenager to mm-hmm. to now, like my last long term committed relationship was like six years ago, okay. and it ended. I mean, we were very we were not compatible with each other at all, but um, it ended because of my behavior mm-hmm. and like a lack of him not really understanding and not knowing how to be there for me. We're now, him and I are now friends and it's it's nice to, God, it's the best feeling to like reconnect with people in a different place in your life. Mm. And I'm finding that's happening a lot to me lately. Like people I've had embarrassing or shameful experiences with, like I've run into them on the street. There was someone I ran into in Vancouver on the street and it was someone, something happened and I didn't really remember what had happened. It was a night. And I had always wanted to apologize. Mm. And I randomly ran into him in Vancouver. And not only did I get to apologize, he was like, Lucy, nothing happened. So I had like built, so in my life, I've like built these things up in my head. All, I say all of that because 
it's just interesting the universe is like we're gonna give you an opportunity to hold yourself accountable and apologize and it's like the best thing to be clear-eyed and feeling good and and to get to reconnect with people when you were in these type of relationships did a lot of your partners also drink heavily or were you (laughs) hiding it so my very first boyfriend ever that i had for three and a half years when i was a teenager um i remember him telling me i had a drinking problem my boyfriend after that and he wasn't really a drinker Mm -hmm. uh my next boyfriend after that he also was like you this is worrisome i'm like Mm-hmm. I'm breaking up with right. you. Bye. Bye. Me problems. You're the problem. <laughs> You're the problem. Bye, babe. <laughs> so Cut to you were right. right. You were right. Fuck. Um, my boyfriend after that. God, we were. It was the most passionate relationship of my life and the most toxic. He was a drug addict. He was an alcoholic. I learned habits from him. We were a perfect storm. But there was also a lot of love there. That was also um, a deeply scary time in my life. I was like, oh. Can you share some of yeah. those habits? Uh, day drinking, drinking a bottle of wine before bed every night. He, uh, at that point, I had never done a drug. And that mm-hmm. was like when I was like, oh, I kind of like how that feels. Um, yeah, it was a lot of just self neglect. Mm-hmm. And it was like mm-hmm. the day drinking thing. That was when I, was like oh you can drink the day after huh I never really thought about that but but also you know those types of relationships are the most exciting like the <sighs> most passionate like whoa Whew. like I this person I I think I'm like if I were ever to be in a room with him now it's still one of those people where I would be so mm-hmm. I'm equal parts terrified of him and attract like deeply attracted to him so crazy i Mm -hmm. had one of those where it was like he was definitely into drugs and there's like a thrill element of like the the instability like this person does not have their shit together and it's like (laughs) every day is fucking different and it's this like exciting rush and Mm -hmm. it's also what you don't realize is it's like uncomfortable fear that like you are thinking is like attraction but you're also like this is you're my body telling me like i shouldn't be doing this yeah and it's it's, it's exactly crazy. that like my nervous system the whole time i was with him was like i did not regulate my nervous system right. for a full year but i also loved that because yeah. i told you i lo- loved chaos mm-hmm. um you don't have to answer this but i'm just thinking again because we're having, we're kind of tying mm-hmm. things like when you look at your life you in, i think sometimes in a positive way you can be like oh that helps it make more sense but like a lot of how we are is because of our family like does anyone in your family struggle with alcohol also okay okay yeah i mean it's it's i think it's just helpful to say because sometimes people feel really fucking alone and it's like girl you're not alone this isn't also i don't know if it helps to be like it's not your fault this is like a genetic thing that like yeah that's yeah life but it's also interesting to me that you know, my sister doesn't struggle with alcohol, mm-hmm. but we grew up in the same home. Obviously, our lives are very different, but it's just interesting how people latch on to something. And mm-hmm. I, I think if I would have found cocaine at 16, that would have been my thing. But mm-hmm. alcohol was your thing. That was my, my bestie for a long time. When you said that you went to rehab, mm-hmm. 
when you got back talk to me about like reintegrating after rehab and then like when did you have another drink (laughs) laughing because i so before i went into rehab i was talking to this guy that i was obsessed with Uh i stayed in rehab i got out the day i got home he flew in to see me i picked him up and they he asked me to stop at a liquor store for him no and i remember him getting a bottle of jack daniels and mind you i still didn't drink for like three months after that so i was like what talk about not integrating right talk about i just had this like spiritual amazing experience and this guy who that was that that in itself is was my life for so long putting everyone else on a pedestal for so long i'm like why am i taking this guy kissing him and he tastes like jack daniels just but i'm just laughing because that was my first memory of getting out of rehab solid yeah damn yeah crazy and then when did you relapse three months after yeah it was always typically that it was like three months after i went to vegas for a of course i relapsed (laughs) relapse in vegas um for a a award show because what would happen was i'd i'd be sober for a long time and think "Mm, you know what i think i have a i think i have a really good grip on my alcoholism Mm -hmm. now and i think if i just have rosé I think I'm going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm going to have a rosé and a water. And then maybe I'll have like a little Adderall just to like bring me back down. And like the, the, the one thing about like alcoholics that I love is like the rules that we, you know, mm-hmm. only beer, only wine, only on weekends, yeah. only every other week. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd get stuck in the cycle of I'd be sober for a month or two and then I'd relapse, then a week, then I'd relapse. Mm-hmm. And I was like a chronic relapser. Yeah. Yeah. When you talked about that, like, New Year's moment when you got on the plane, was there something that happened that was, like, rock bottom? I mean, in hindsight, like, a lot of things that happened in my life would have been labeled as worse. But I think I was at a point in my life for this New Year's trip where I knew uh, I knew my drinking career was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And I almost, I think subconsciously, I knew that this New Year's was going to be the last hurrah. And it certainly was. But I think it was so scary to start drinking one night, to wake up um, like a day and a half later and have so much blank memory and be like, and I remember asking my friend, I was like, what are we doing tonight for New Year's Eve? And he was like, it's the first. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? There's a whole day of my life I don't remember. And like blacking out was a very normal thing for me here and there, whatever. But I'll never, I still like, I have a physical reaction to hearing him say it was the first. And I was just like, this can't be my life. This can't be my life. I refuse to let this be my life anymore. And I was so sad. I, and like, it was just more like, and nothing really, you know, I don't even know if I left the hotel room, like nothing technically bad happened, but it was just that feeling of, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. I have everything I could ever want and I'm gonna blow it all. And it's a miracle that I didn't. Yeah. I think I did 
I fucked up friendships. I fucked up relationships. I hurt my family. I, you know, I did lose out on career opportunities, but like, I talk about guardian angels. Like, talk about knowing I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. And so, you know, I, so whatever happened in Austin, like something resonated. It was this feeling of like, maybe let's do maybe let's try it a different way Mm -hmm. uh and i did and i'm so proud i'm so proud that i did that um yeah and i and i often don't sit back and relish in the like whoa babe like you did it you did it i thank you for sharing that i literally got chills because it's like we we as humans are just judgmental like we either compare ourselves but like or we'll judge people because it's actually an insecurity of ours or we'll judge because we don't understand something i appreciate you sharing all this because it's so fucking hard to talk about something that you have any amount of shame over and also something that like you've as much as maybe people in your life have talk to you about it or told you or you've broken up with boyfriends about it like it's on you like it's Mm -hmm. at and and also you've dealt with this alone so it's like you were going through this alone Mm because when you woke up you were alone sure even if there was a body next to you that you're like what are you doing here like you're alone and so it's on you to find your way out of it that's fucking hard but that is the key to life is like the second you start taking accountability of I'll just say it from my point of view the second I was like okay why am I in this weird fucking hotel room a day and a half later why am I sad why am I angry it's I have to take accountability of my life yep no one else is gonna save me and I can't keep blaming other people for my own shit it doesn't mean people can't help me but ultimately all you have is yourself like yeah. You have to fight and advocate for yourself. I just love that we're talking about that. It's like, even if people are listening and it's like, it's not alcohol. It's just like your life, whether you're unhappy, wherever the fuck you are, if you're unhappy about something, like it really is. It sounds so fucking simple, but it's hard not to look around and try to blame others or mm-hmm. blame your circumstances. It's like, there is something so powerful about you sitting on that plane ride and just being like, yeah, it's got to end. It's got to Yeah, end. it's got to change. Yeah. And I think that's fucking amazing that you're sitting here today and you clearly now are like, again, like we said, it's not easy. Mm-mm. It's never going to be easy. No, but life is not easy and it's not supposed to be easy. That is what we signed up for as human beings. Yeah. The, being a human is hard. It's hard mm-hmm. to navigate. Yeah. We all numb out in some way. Mm-hmm. We all try to escape. Mm-hmm. But there's something beautiful about not. There what if is. we didn't? What if we didn't? What if we were just uncomfortable? We'll get through it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about, obviously, like, recovery is not linear. Like, it's an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. In these past two years, trying, essentially, like, you're finding a new version of yourself. Because for so long, like, you were going off of, like, certain habits and routines and a lifestyle. And now it's all different. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about, like, how it's been, things that you've struggled with things that you're like loving about yourself yeah I mean certainly not linear and there is no right or wrong way to Mm -hmm. heal um you know there's so much advice out there there's so much on the internet of like 
how to heal and mm-hmm. and I think that's great and I think that's when the internet is really beautiful but I think ultimately like the only person that's gonna know what feels good in your body and your mind mm-hmm. is yourself yep. so for me it's like I've kind of had to like block out a lot of the noise and really get quiet with myself and like really figure out what actually makes me feel good because I had to have a moment where I was like does my career make me feel good Mm -hmm. luckily it does luckily because god that would have been a shit show it's like I'm sober and I'm (laughs) changing careers I'm yeah who knows what would I have done what would I have done but I um you know, just like, yeah, getting crystal clear on like the friendship. For me, it's like when you heal, you expect other people to heal with you. But like you're on a different path. You're on a different journey. And so certain things don't fit your life anymore. Yeah. And so obviously like the places I was going and day to day, that shifted a little. Mm-hmm. Um, but people don't prepare you that like some friendships don't, won't be the same. That's yeah. the hardest thing is like we talk about romantic breakups all the time but like friendship breakups are hard and so I've had to deal with that a little bit and um family dynamics have shifted boundaries girl (sighs) boundaries boundaries you know I was talking about being at peace Mm -hmm. and how that felt uncomfortable that's really what a lot of what my life has looked like it's like okay am I am I bored or is this just really nice and like being okay in stillness and not needing to fill my days with stuff just to avoid because what I what I found when I was newly sober was okay I'm gonna work out three times a day I'm gonna you know read a book I'm going to whatever Mm -hmm. it's like well why am I filling my days with all of these things what if I just didn't right what if I just didn't and so it's like I'm in this interesting place now where my relationship to my body and to food and to exercise has is like the next thing for me to work on I think just like being really gentle with mm-hmm. all of that yeah. I think that uh, not to like go back all into this but I think the eating disorder fueled the alcoholism and they kind of fueled each other mm-hmm. and so like now that I'm sober it's like okay now let's like really unpack yeah this and so you know my life is very simple I it it they're like okay <laughs> I'm just a simple girl I'm a simple gal from Tennessee <laughs> but you know no but what I mean by that is I find joy in simple moments I want to simplify my life I'm trying to simplify my life mm-hmm. my circle is small um I spend a lot of time with my dogs oh. I am on this whole this will be for when I come back for part two of the podcast. We'll talk about spirituality because I do want to say that the spirituality element is what keeps me going. And it's brought a lot of clarity to my life of like, oh, but why am I really here? What is my purpose? How can I help leave the world a better place? Yeah. So it's like my priorities have really shifted into broader scale, yeah. I guess. Um, and I think that that was maybe why I was also drinking is because I felt like I didn't have a purpose. Yeah. I love that you just said, um, you know, like, it's okay. Like, is it boredom or is it just like you're just be still? And mm-hmm. I feel like there's so many people that can relate to that moment where you're like trying so hard to just keep moving and keep going and keep doing and going here, 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 here. Mm-hmm. And it's like 
when you're uncomfortable in the silence and being alone with yourself that's the first indicator you got shit to work on shit to work on because there's nothing better than when you are like so super cozy with yourself and you actually would a hundred times over choose yourself to be alone and like not go out and not right literally the best i'm at the point now where i you know i'm I'm single Mm -hmm. i I don't know when this is airing but as of now, I'm single, and I have to. F- I have Are to get a boyfriend in the next two weeks, Lizzie. Um, I don't know. Should we have a dating show? Fuck, I was gonna and, say. And uh, but but my point in saying all that was like I love my alone time. Mm-hmm. I love my life. I love my schedule. But I also do. You know, I do want a partner, and I want a family, mm-hmm. and um, and I do have to put myself outside of my comfort zone because it is. It does feel so cozy and safe in this like little world I built for oh, myself, yeah. but. He ain't gonna come knocking on my on my front door. Maybe he will. I was about to say, I love how you're like, when is this coming out? I'm like, uh, are you? Do you have someone in mind? I'm like, is is he? I do have someone in mind, oh! but 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 we're not dating. Okay, but you've gone on dates. Mm, we're supposed to. We'll see. We'll see. And now that I've said it out loud, it's happening. Well, I don't know. We'll see. So you've texted a little. Okay, and you're gonna potentially go. But this is me putting expectations on something. No, this but is it's... what I do all the time. I'm like. <laughs> Okay, how is he going to be as a dad? Like, it's like, no, I'm just like, calm down. But this is my extremist brain. Yeah. You know? I get it. But I also think that I'm at the point now, like, I don't want to casually date. I'm looking for something, something specific. And okay. not everyone is looking for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're just trying to manifest that into my life. Do you have any, like, dating rules for yourself that you're like, this has to be? Like, is there anything on the list that you're like, this don't is like. Don't be a raging alcoholic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're like don't, don't don't be but also i do love an edge <laughs> no 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 i don't it? i don't have any like don't, don't but i think yeah. it's more just like this place i'm at in my life mm-hmm. where i'm at the woman i've become it's not for everyone and i know that yeah. but it is for some people mm-hmm. and so it's more just like being completely in alignment with someone emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, it's tricky. It's very tricky to navigate. And I'm not willing to alter anything. I will compromise, you know, compromise this is a very different thing. But I think we're not settling anymore. Yeah, we, we're not settling. No. I made a song out of it. We're, we're not settling. And break away. Because we're not going to settle. Okay, we don't need an album. Um, What I love about what you just said, though, is like how great you're now on a place in your life where you are so clear on the things that you need for yourself and so if someone comes in, you're going to be able to be like, check, check. Oh, I can compromise oh, on I know, that. And I know. I know immediately. Yeah. Usually. But before you yeah. probably, and as we all go through that, where you're like, you almost become the partner that walks in the door. You become the guy that's the drug addict. You're like, oh, I guess I'll just like, yeah, you, when we go, we all go through that where we're so much more like, we are so much more susceptible to just becoming that relationship and being independent of like this is what I bring can you meet me here also and people talk about this all the time a lot of people are filling a void with the person they choose or Mm -hmm. the relationship they're in because it's a lot of people settling or a lot of people uh trying to figure out their shit within a relationship and that's not saying you can't you can grow as a couple yeah but i think i'm so grateful that i now feel 
more whole and can enter into a partnership now because now I know how to treat people because I know how to treat myself. Mm-hmm. I can show up for someone. I can respect someone. I'm ready to love, oh, you girl. know, and I don't, and I wasn't always that way. Right. So do you have a type? <laughs> yes. Physically? No. Although yeah. my friends would be like, you love tall, dark and handsome. <laughs> I love a musician. Bad boys, Lucy. But I don't know if that's a lifestyle that's good for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But I but there's something about musically inclined uh-huh. men that really get my heart rate. I get it. Just going. turn on Spotify and listen to a song. Like I feel like that yeah. girl, the touring and the the drinking no. and the le- it's a lot. No. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. But I do think I would love to end up with a creative of some mm-hmm. sort. Mm-hmm. I'm. I don't really set rules for. Like, I'm not saying, oh, he has to be in the industry or he has to not be in the industry. I think, like, having that level of understanding, yep. it would be nice to be with someone who gets it. Yeah. Um, but type, I'm more of a vibe gal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I need, I have a very, like, a specific sense of humor. Not needing to be in the spotlight, but quick. I like, I like going deep with people. Right. If you can keep up with me in conversations, like, that's sexy. Awareness is the... Like, I will drop my panties for that <laughs> immediately. I'm like, a self-aware king. I, you know, I just, I've, I've been dating for the first time in my life. And a lot of it is like, these people are not asking me questions. Uh-huh. Why am I the only one asking questions? Right. I, I was talking to someone about this the other day, that, and they were like, the dates I've gone on, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I'm just going to stop. I've been asking you questions the whole time. Not in like a weird interrogative way, but like I'm asking you questions, being respectful. Are you curious do about you wanna, me? Do yeah. You, do you even remember my last name? Yeah. Like, where are we at? I think it's a universal thing. And <laughs> men, I love you. I do. But I think it's not. Right. I'm always taken aback when, when someone asks me a question. And not only that, a good question. Like I agree. That to me, I'm like, oh, to feel seen and heard. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have you had any bad dates recently I've never had any nightmare dates okay. ever but I definitely had one recently where <laughs> I just knew immediately I was like oh no no wait no, why no, why no, why because no. it felt like a rehearsed date oh it felt like he was saying things that I think I had verbatim said in an interview before <laughs> and I'm like okay on one level that's sweet like he did his research but also he wasn't in my industry and I always feel a little weird when mm-hmm. it's someone not in my industry because like I don't know people's motives yeah. oh my favorite thing though is I'm on a specific dating app and um when you're on this dating app, you can click on someone's name and you know, you go to their Instagram, you know who they are. If you connect with someone, you're going to obviously Google who they are. Of course. But this has happened a few times where guys act like they don't know what I do for a living or who I am. And I'm like, okay, you might not have seen my work, but I don't believe that you connected with me and haven't Googled me. It's You're asking me what I do for a living? Like, just stop. That's the crazy thing. Am I crazy? Because I'm like, this is really, this is very bizarre. You're not crazy because what's crazy is social media. Everyone has it at this point. I'm like, I know what your mom's sister's dog is doing right now. Let's keep it real. And even if you're not going to bring that up, you're not going to pretend you don't know what the dude does. Like, it's so silly. But I think it's like a way of them 
being like, I don't care what you do. I'm right. a normal guy who wants you for all the right reasons. I'm like, yeah, but that is showing me that you want me for all the wrong reasons right. if you're being a phony. Right. Like, imagine how much hotter it is for the guy to be like, oh, I, like, I respect your career. I this respect is so your career. Cool. This is so cool. Like, obviously, I don't know if I've watched everything you're in. Like, what was your favorite project? Like, yes. That, that was like when I went on a guy in New York City, I went on a date and he was like, um, what do you do for a living? And I was like, this is when, well, you're uh-huh, engaged this, now. No, but this was like right before I got you engaged. You had success. Yes. And I was like, oh, like I have a podcast. And like, you're like the I, number one most successful and, no, and at the time he followed Dave Portnoy. He followed Barstool. He felt like, I'm like, you know, you know. Thumbs down, you know. dude. And I'm like, oh, I have a podcast. He's like, oh, like, what do you talk about? And I'm like. Meanwhile, you go look at his search history. He's listening to every Daddy. episode. I just, yeah. It's, no. no, I agree. Mm. I think that in this dating world with social media, it's better to be up front. You don't have to say like, oh, yeah, like, and go too deep of what you've stalked. But there's a level of like, let's keep it fucking real. Let's be transparent. Because then if yeah. not, you're like, this is what weird. are you hiding? Yeah, exactly. Okay. If your fans and my fans can take one thing from this interview, what do you want them to take from this? Oh, fuck. Where do we begin? Where do we begin? Okay, 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 okay. One thing? Yeah, fuck. That's a lot. Okay. I just think, for me, I didn't really have any women, at least that I had found, that were going through similar experiences. And I know that a lot of the things we talked about today were heavy heavy hitters Mm -hmm. and make a lot of people uncomfortable like a lot of people will not and do not want to talk to me about my sobriety or sexual encounters or trauma or whatever but I guess like the one thing is I just if anyone's listening like just know that there's nothing to be afraid of there's nothing to be ashamed of um and you're just you're not alone I think like you and I have both mentioned many times during this interview that we felt alone or misunderstood um and I think it's just always nice to know that very simply you are not yeah you are not and I think that I'll I'll end it with this I I watch very niche documentaries and I read very weird books and just like I'll find something like the other day I was looking up crop circles but the other day I was (laughs) I was googling fingerprints I was like, how fucking amazing is it that there are no two fingerprints ever in the history of ever that are alike? If that doesn't tell you everything right there, there is only one you. Mm -hmm. There is only ever supposed to be one of you. And that is so fucking cool to me. Mm -hmm. Look at your finger. Like, yeah, yeah. it's it's. And so that to me just like wraps up what I'm trying to say is that. Life is tricky, baby, but 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 you're not alone and things might not make sense, but they will eventually because I felt that for so much of my life where I'm like, what is the fuck is happening? And things eventually find their place. They do. Be gentle with yourself. Be kind. Please be kind to yourself. Yeah. God. I cannot thank you enough for coming on because like you said, I think it's so important to have conversations that may make people uncomfortable because it's not what we're saying that should make them uncomfortable it's because in some way we've been raised to think like showing any weakness and talking about things that you've gone through is a sign of weakness and it's completely the the opposite opposite. you're so fucking strong for sitting here knowing 
millions of people are going to listen to this and watch you talking about something that so many people will relate to and I think it's just the beginning of people actually realizing like damn if she can just talk about this and overcome this and also recognize like it's a struggle it's okay Mm -hmm. if you're relapsing if you're like it's all it is all gonna happen but by talking about shit that's the most powerful thing and the most beautiful thing is and also thank you for this was so fun this was right yeah and you just really made me feel safe and it was very easy to open up about these things um because I don't always share this with everyone and um and I do think it is maybe a part of my journey now to talk about these things and and I and I hope it resonates or that something I've said that might wake something up inside someone I don't know but honestly thank you so much for having me Lucy thank you so much for coming on Call Her Daddy thank you This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. Want $0 delivery fees? Try DashPass by DoorDash. Daddy gang, I love being home. I love to be cozy, comfortable, laying on the couch. I can't tell you how many times I need something, but I am too lazy to get up and get out of the house. And sometimes I need food or groceries, you name it. Dash Pass gets it delivered right to my door and yours too. It is only $9.99 a month. So I think it's a really good deal, Daddy Gang. So get $0 delivery fees on eligible orders with Dash Pass and new members get a 30-day free trial. Terms apply. Sign up today.